What a special day. What a blessing uh, to be able to gather together with like-minded people to worship our God, our Father in heaven, to lift up the name of His Lord, uh, of His Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. It's just a, a grand blessing to be able to gather together. And it's special for many reasons. You know, today is Alex Currington's 27th birthday. And we're so thankful for him. Wow! Applause! Wow! I didn't even call for applause. I mean, it just erupted for you. And we may have other birthdays in the house, and so we wish you a happy birthday as well. And of course, it is Easter, and so why don't you wish the person next to you happy Easter? Just tell them happy Easter. Happy Easter. And you know what else? It's also April Fool's Day. It's April Fool's Day. Did you know? Did you know that the last time Easter fell on April 1st, on April Fool's Day, was 1956? 62 years ago. I've been racking my brain trying to remember that one. I just can't recall it. So. Today affords you the opportunity to pull some very unique once-in-a-generation pranks. Alright, so here are some ideas for you. You can fill a hollow chocolate bunny up with mustard. And then when your kids bite into that, they will have a nice treat to enjoy. You can dye an uncooked egg and place it among the hard-boiled ones. You can cover an uncooked egg in... These are some ideas for this afternoon. Cover an uncooked egg in chocolate and wrap it in shiny aluminum. You, these are just cruel. I did not come up with these, just so you know. My mind is not this twisted. These came off a website. Instead of candy, you can fill plastic Easter eggs for the hunt today with things like Q-tips or dirt, maybe, or paper clips. You know, exciting items like those. And how about this one? You can hide marshmallow peeps in obscure places around your house so your family can enjoy finding them all year long. That's the gift. That's the gift that keeps on giving. But did you know that the first Easter ever was also on April Fool's Day? Now, I know that back in the first century, during the era of Jesus, There was no such holiday as Easter or April Fool's Day. What I mean when I say that is this. When the early disciples first heard that Jesus had risen from the dead, which is an event that now people the world over celebrate on Easter, they thought they were being tricked. They thought they were being hoodwinked. That somebody was pulling their leg. Do you remember in Luke chapter 24 when that group of of female disciples, they go on the first day of the week, it's early dawn, they're taking spices in order to anoint the body of Jesus, and so they go to His tomb. They had seen Him be buried there. So they travel there, it's early dawn, but when they arrive, the stone had been rolled away, and they peek inside, and there's no body in there. And then all of a sudden, two men appear in dazzling white apparel, and they say, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Jesus has risen just as He said He would. And so they race back and they tell the 11 remaining apostles and the other disciples what they saw. The tomb was empty. How did those guys react 
to the testimony of these ladies. In Luke chapter 24, verse 11, we're told that it seemed to them an idle tale. In other words, it seemed like nonsense. It seemed ludicrous. And they did not believe them. They thought they were being fooled. They thought it was just some prank. And when Jesus later appeared to them, they didn't initially think that it was Him, that it was His resurrection body, flesh and blood. They thought instead, He was a ghost. This has to be some sort of trick. And you know that Thomas, doubting Thomas, as we call him, he was not with the band of apostles when Jesus appeared to them. And he, when they said, we have seen the Lord, he said, I won't believe it until what? Until I see the marks in his hands where they drove the nails. Until I touch those wounds. Until I feel the place on his side where the soldiers drove in the spear. I will not believe until I see. Until that day comes, I will treat this story with suspicion. I will regard it simply as a prank. I will, until then, think, you guys are just fooling around. You know, some people today, like these, think that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just some elaborate hoax. That it's just an April Fool's prank. There are still people today who will say things like this, how do we know He really died? Maybe Jesus just fainted on the cross. Maybe He faked His death. This is what has has been called for many years the swoon theory. And so it goes like this. If Jesus just faked his His death, if He never died, then He never rose. And maybe you have some who will concede, okay, He died, but was He really buried in a tomb? Maybe like others in this era, his body was left on the cross as a warning to other people. Don't do what that criminal did or you'll end up there too. Or maybe he was just thrown into a common grave with some criminals. Oh, okay, maybe he was buried in a tomb, I'll give you that, but how do we know that it was later found empty? I mean, can we really trust the testimony of those who saw it empty? Can the witnesses, the first eyewitnesses be trusted? Okay, maybe the tomb was found empty, but that doesn't mean that Jesus was raised. I mean, there are other explanations, like maybe His his disciples stole the body to convince the Jews and the others that, yeah, He is Lord. Yeah, He was raised as He promised. And maybe the later appearances that He made to people, all these reports that we have seen the risen Lord, maybe those people were just hallucinating. And so for these reasons and many others, many people in our day struggle to believe the resurrection. They doubt that it happened. Now the earliest believers, they struggled to believe Jesus was alive because they watched Him die. They saw the horrors of the cross. And those who didn't see told them, told the ones who, Those who didn't see were told by the ones who were there exactly what happened to Jesus. 
And maybe you say, but he had talked about his resurrection. I mean, they should have been expecting that Jesus would come back to life. And that's true. Three times in Matthew's gospel, Jesus foretells his death and his resurrection. He says, I will be delivered into the hands of sinful men. I will be crucified. And on the third day, I will rise. Matthew 16, Matthew 17, Matthew 20. It was part of his teaching. They would have heard it. But you just think about if you were in their shoes. Much of that teaching goes out the window when you see your Lord and Savior die in such a cruel, horrific way. And yes, all of those teachings were in the back of their minds, but what was most fresh on their minds was His terrible death. They couldn't get it out of their heads. And it was only three days later when reports started to, be, to, to circulate that He had risen. They couldn't quite get there because they had seen Him die and let there be no doubt that he died he didn't just faint he didn't fake his death on the cross he had been brutally flogged by a roman soldier his back torn to shreds by the leather whip which had metal balls and pieces of sharp bone woven into it to inflict the the utmost pain on the recipient Then he was forced to carry the horizontal beam of the cross to calvary until he collapsed under the weight of it. And Simon was pulled off the street corner and ordered to carry it the rest of the way. Medical experts agree that Jesus was already in serious to critical condition even before the spikes, the five to eight inch spikes were driven through his wrists and feet. Even before his body was outstretched on the cross probably causing his shoulders to become dislocated. Even before the agonizing effort to push up repeatedly over and over again on the cross simply to take in a breath. No. Jesus could not have come down from that cross alive. The Roman soldiers who were professional executioners would not have allowed it. Not on their watch does Jesus get out of this alive. And even if He had survived, I mean, let's just entertain that notion By the way, he definitely could not have survived. But if he could, let's just say, if he could, do you think a person in that kind of pathetic condition would ever be able to inspire his disciples to go out and proclaim that he's the Lord of life who's triumphed over the grave? Do you think somebody in that pitiful condition would be able to prove to his disciples that he had victory over death and so can you? No way. Jesus died. Jesus was as dead as dead could be. And he was buried in a tomb. Unlike other crucified victims of the era. And we know this because the burial was part of the earliest material that was passed down about about Jesus. Well before the New Testament was completed. In places like 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7. These early traditions about what Jesus went through. His death, burial, and resurrection. Listen. The early Christians could not have pulled this over on people in the dec- in just the decade after Jesus died. People would know whether or not it was true if he received an honor- honorable burial, if he was placed in the tomb. It would have been impossible to add a legendary detail this early. And so Jesus died and his lifeless body was placed in a tomb. And so then on that Sunday morning when 
They began hearing reports that Jesus was no longer dead but had risen. They doubted those because they saw the cruel death that he endured. But when they saw him, I mean when they really saw him, when they got a good look at him, they knew he had risen. When he appears to them in Luke chapter 24 and they think that he's a ghost and they're frightened, he says, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's me. Touch me. See me. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like I do. It's me in the flesh in a new resurrection body. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet and they marveled. And then he said, got anything to eat? I mean, a ghost, a spirit doesn't say something like that. And the gospel writer tells us that the disciples gave him a piece of broiled flesh. I mean, uh, excuse me, of broiled fish. And he took, that's a, that's a pretty big faux pas there. They gave him a piece, pardon me, of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it. Can you imagine this scene? Jesus is sitting there in their midst, eating their fish that they had just cooked. And three days before, he was hanging on a cross, taking his last breath. Can you believe? I mean, can you imagine how amazed they were? How they marveled in that moment? Here is our Lord fully alive, and he was fully dead just hours ago. And we're sharing a meal with him. And he's eating our fish. When they saw him, when they really saw him, they knew he had risen. They knew he was alive. In John chapter 20, Jesus appears to Thomas, the one who said, I will never believe unless I see, unless I touch. And Jesus said, look, you can place your hands here and here. And Thomas did. And he said, my Lord and my God. They believed when they saw. And life was never the same for these guys. I mean, how could it be? You can't just go back to the boats and go back to the tax collecting booth and go back to ordinary everyday life when you believe something like this, when you experience something like this, something that had never happened before, that hasn't happened since, that God intervened in human history to raise His Son from the dead, one who was dead a few days ago is now alive. That inalterably changes somebody's life. You just can't go back to to the old way of living. After something like that happens, you can't return to the status quo. And they didn't. Their lives were wholeheartedly devoted to their Lord Jesus Christ, their risen Lord. And they willingly died in His service. Their lives were never again the same. And maybe we have some people here today who say, man, I wish I could see Him. I wish I could have been there. I mean, if I was one of those apostles and I could see him, I could share a meal with him. If I could see those wounds in his hands. If I was Thomas and I was able to touch those wounds in his wrist and see that place where they drove the spear in. If I, if I could feel that wound, I'd believe. I, I would believe without a doubt. 
There would be no shadow of doubt if I could only be there. But listen, that is not necessary. You don't have to have been there in order to believe that it's true. In fact, we have all the evidence that we need now to know that it's true. Compelling evidence. For instance, some people say, can you trust the witnesses? We said this earlier. In all four gospel accounts, it was women who were the initial eyewitnesses to the empty tomb, the resurrection. It was Joanna. It was Mary Magdalene. It was Mary, the mother of, uh, of one of the apostles. It was this faithful group of Christian, of early women disciples who first saw the empty tomb. Now, if you were making this story up in the first century, you would never place women at the center of it. And I'm not hating on women, okay? I love women. I live in a house with four women. I used to have a little male dog, but now he's gone and it's just me. I'm the only man in the house. Let there be no mistake that I love women. Don't shoot the messenger here. I'm just passing along what I know about culture at this time. Women were on a very low rung on the social ladder in Palestine. In fact, their testimony was regarded as so worthless that they weren't even allowed to serve as legal witnesses in a Jewish court of law. And the early Christians are going to hang the veracity of the resurrection on the testimony of women? It makes no sense. Unless the story is true. I mean, if they were making this story up, they wouldn't say that the women were the first ones to see the empty tomb. They would say, it was Peter, or it was John, or it was one of the other early disciples. No, they said it was the women. That's embarrassing. But it's all the more reason to believe that it's the way that it really happened. Because if they were making it up, it wouldn't be written this way. And what about those who say the disciples stole the body? Well, Newsflash, according to Matthew's Gospel, there were guards at the tomb. Do you really think that those Jewish or Roman guards would have allowed some sneaky apostles to sneak to the tomb and they would be able to roll the extremely heavy stone to the side and remove the body of Jesus without them ever noticing? And some people who say those later appearances were just hallucinations. Well, according to psychologists, Hallucinations are individual experiences. There has never been a reported case of a large group of people having the same hallucination. But what we see, according to the New Testament, is Jesus appeared to groups of people, a group as big as 500 people. Now, how do you explain hundreds of the same kind of reports of Jesus appearing to people, groups of people? Hallucinations don't work like that. And listen, we've only scratched the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the evidence that exists that the resurrection happened. We have all the evidence we need. And of course, what's more important than evidence is faith. Jesus said to Thomas, after Thomas had said, I will never believe unless I see, unless I touch. He said, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are you. You have not seen. And yet, look where you are. You've believed. 
And when you believe the resurrection, when you accept it as fact, it changes everything. And that's not only what this sermon is about, that is what our upcoming sermon series is about, which begins this morning and will continue through several Sundays. We're talking about how the resurrection changes everything. There's no returning to the status quo. Once you believe something like this, consider what we are believing here. That God has raised somebody from the dead. It changes everything. It changes, here's what we'll be talking about. It changes our future. Because through the resurrection of Jesus, we are promised that someday we will be raised. Jesus is the first fruits and someday there will be a harvest. It changes my sins. In the present time, we can be raised from our sin, from those waters of baptism to walk in newness of life. It changes my faith. Because like Jesus, I can trust in my Father. Jesus entrusted Himself to the promises of God and He was not let down. And neither will we be if we trust in God. What about my strength? I know that I can endure whatever comes upon me Because the risen Lord is on my side and present with me throughout my entire life. And what about my service to God? A lot of people think, man, I feel like what I'm doing is not making a difference because of the resurrection. Your labor is not in vain. It matters. Every last good deed you do in the name of Jesus Christ matters. Because of the resurrection, it changes everything. And I want to invite you back over the next several weeks as we dig into how this historical event has changed the course of history and has the power to transform your life. The resurrection is not the end of Jesus' story. That's the way we often treat it. The resurrection instead is the beginning of your story. It's where it all begins. And you know the one who was made the biggest fool on the first Easter wasn't the disciples. They thought they were being tricked. They thought they were being fooled. But they were vindicated when they saw and believed the risen Lord. The one who was made the fool on the first Easter was Satan who thought God could be kept in a tomb. Well, guess what? The joke's on him because Jesus is alive. And that truth has the power to transform our lives. And this morning, if you believe in the risen Lord, you have the chance to rise to new life today. Or if you're struggling in any way and you'd like to come and ask for the prayers of this body of believers or ask for forgiveness from God, if you just need an extra spiritual boost this week and you have something that you're dealing with or that's going on in your family and and you want to say, please, church family, pray for me. This is an opportunity for you to come and to make that need known. We call this the invitation song. And during the song, we invite, and as I've said before, it's not me who's doing the inviting. It's not our elders. It's not our church family. It is God. He is beckoning you come. Make things right with Him. Respond and receive the gift of salvation that He so freely offers us all through Jesus Christ. Right here and right now, you have the opportunity to do that. Why don't you? As we stand and sing.